All right, let's take our Bibles, if you would please, and open them to the book of Acts, chapter 19. And this evening, I'd like for us to continue our study about the Holy Spirit. It's been a couple, I guess it's been three weeks now since the last message in which we talked about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is referred to as the forgotten person of the Godhead. And I think that's because there is so just so little understanding of the Holy Spirit's work. And in the past 40 or 50 years, there have been some that have tried to remedy that situation, and so they have tried to bring the Holy Spirit to the forefront, and I think that result, the results of that is that they've really confused his ministry even more. Now, as Baptists, uh, what we generally tend to do is to go the other way. We're so afraid of overemphasizing the Spirit that we really don't say very much about him. But the truth is, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the reason that we're able to worship here tonight. Uh, He's what keeps us in the faith. He enables us to do all the work that we do for God. Now, as Christians, we know that our lives have been changed. We know that when we receive Christ as Savior, that there was a new work that was done down deep in our souls. And we know that we're supposed to live, according to scriptures, a very different life because of that change. But we might not be totally aware of what enables us to live differently than we were before. Well, we have this scripture in Acts chapter 19 where there were some disciples that met the Apostle Paul in Ephesus and they really needed some good, solid instruction about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look at our text beginning in Acts chapter 19, verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then Paul, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Now there, that tells us that these disciples that Paul met had not yet heard that Christ had come. Now they had heard the message that the Messiah was coming and they had received John's baptism, but they didn't know that Christ had already come. And verse number five, it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, as I said last time, uh, I hope that you remember that as we looked at this particular text, I said that this is really a great text for further study. There is just a lot of information in these verses, and there's a lot of different opinions about what happened with these disciples and what the Apostle Paul was talking to them about. And most of those opinions concern the question of baptism. But it's not our purpose tonight to talk about baptism, but rather we want to look into the statement that's made in verse number 2 that Paul asked them, he said, When you, uh, or have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And these people answered him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, that doesn't mean that they had no idea that the Holy Spirit exists, because if they were saved and if they 
had heard about, uh, knew about John's baptism and heard anything at all about the Old Testament, then they would have known in the existence of the Holy Spirit. But what they didn't know was about the special operations of the Spirit. They didn't know that the Holy Spirit had come on Pentecost, and since that time, he works in a very different way in the world than he worked before. And so they didn't understand how he now works in the life of believers. Well, our concern is to answer this question, who is the Holy Spirit? And this is what we're attempting to do. We want to find out what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit. And as we learn more about him and the power that he gives us to live the Christian life, then we're better able to access that power. So if the Bible tells us that we are to live in the Spirit, then certainly we need to know who he is and what he does. And so over these next several weeks, we're going to look into, continue to look into this question of who is the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to go back and review just a little bit. It's been three weeks since we had that first message. And in that message, we cleared up one of the great heresies that's come down to us through church history. It's a very old heresy, still believed by some today. And that is that the Holy Spirit is nothing more than than a force, or the Holy Spirit is an impersonal influence. And so we looked at what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit in this area, that the Holy Spirit is actually a person. And the Holy Spirit is always spoken of in the same way as you speak of a person. There are personal pronouns that are used to describe him. Someone has said that a person is one who, when speaking, says I, when is spoken to, is called you, and when is spoken of, is called him or her. And that's the way the Holy Spirit is referred to in Scripture. There are personal pronouns that are applied to him. And then the Bible also shows that he is a person because he possesses the characteristics of a person. He has a mind, he has feelings, he has a will, he has actions such as hearing and speaking and showing things. He does things that an impersonal force is not able to do. He relates to us, he understands us, he feels for us, he, as the Bible says, is our comforter and he is a friend who's always there to help us. Well, we want to move on this evening to consider another important answer to this question, who is the Holy Spirit? Because not only is he a person, but he is a very special person, a very unique person. And that's because the Holy Spirit is deity. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, we can say that the Holy Spirit has all the characteristics of a person, but that doesn't necessarily make him God. Angels also have the characteristics of persons, and we have characteristics, of course, of persons, but that does not mean that we're God. But if it's proved that the Holy Spirit is God, then, of course, he must also be a person. That logically follows. And I don't think that the Bible leaves us any guesswork about this question, uh, whether he is actually God. In fact, there might be this error that people have of believing that the Holy Spirit is nothing more than in personal force, but there's really not been a lot of argument down through church history on the, on the deity of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's far more argument argument advanced about whether Jesus Christ is actually God than the Holy Spirit. So once you get over these uh, earlier proofs, these biblical proofs that he's actually uh, a person, then the, the argument to show that he's God is really a short argument. So there has been a lot more debate 
on the deity of Christ than there has been about the Holy Spirit. And I think maybe the reason for that is, is because the Holy Spirit has never appeared in human form. God the Father has never appeared in human form. But of course, Jesus Christ did. And because he did, his humanity is one of the great arguments that people make against his deity. Well, we're not talking about the deity of Christ tonight, although towards the end of the message, I will say a little bit about that. But we're talking about the deity of the Holy Spirit. And one of the most convincing proofs of the Spirit's deity, or the fact that he is God, is the associations that he has with the Trinity. How that he's always put with the Trinity. So the associations of the Holy Spirit prove that he is God. And there are many places in Scripture in which the Holy Spirit is associated with both the Father and with Christ. In Romans 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul wrote, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, there's a verse that shows that the Holy Spirit stands in the same relation to God as he does to Christ, that he is the Spirit of God and also called the Spirit of Christ. And so the terms are used to apply in both those cases. So that shows us that the Holy Spirit is actually the third person of the Trinity. Now in Acts chapter 5, the uh, Apostle Peter was speaking to Ananias. And we notice the way that he made an association between the Holy Spirit and God the Father. In Acts chapter 5, and uh, you'll recognize this I hope as the story of where Ananias sold his land and then lied to the apostles about the price of the land after he'd sold it. But here's an exchange that took place between them. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God." So Peter says, first, you have lied to the Holy Ghost. And then he says, you have lied to God. So we, haven't, we can't miss that association that Peter makes the Holy Spirit equal to the Father as being God. And then we have other scriptures where we have all three persons of the Trinity mentioned together. And one of the most familiar of those is in the baptism formula. Now, we call that the Trinitarian formula of baptism, and we use that this morning, and it's part of the Great Commission. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so whenever I baptize a person, just like I did this morning, just shortly before almost drowning Kyle, I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we do that just because the scripture very clearly points that out, that there are three persons of the deity. And they're all mentioned together and they are all God. And then there's the associations that we find in the benedictions of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse number 14, there Paul writes, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So once again, you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one Scripture. 
And then we also find him or find them grouped together in this great scripture that we have in 1 John 5, verse number 7, where it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, if you're like some and you dispute the King James reading of that verse and you say, well, that verse shouldn't even be in the Bible. Well, you might make that argument if you want, but you haven't got rid of the Holy, uh, haven't got rid of the Trinity because the surrounding verses keep the Trinity in our sights. Verse number six speaks of Jesus Christ and speaks of the witness of the Holy Spirit concerning him. And then in verse number nine, there's the witness of God and that's tied to the witness of the Holy Spirit and that just further accentuates that the Spirit and God are the same. Now, we don't think that we need to get rid of 1 John 5, uh, 7 because that is a part of Scripture, but people that are trying to get rid of the Trinity don't have any success because the rest of that chapter deals with it as well. So we can see then that the associations of the Holy Spirit put him in the same context with the other members of the Godhead, which shows that he is also deity. Now, I want to take just a moment to show you some comparative scriptures that prove that the writers of the New Testament believed that the Holy Spirit was God. Now, I want to start, if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and actually, of course, you were reading there in the Old Testament, but then we're going to go in just a moment to the place in the New Testament where this scripture is referenced. And Paul, when he, when he spoke in the New Testament, he understood that the prophets in the Old Testament were, were spoken to by the Holy Spirit, that it was the Holy Spirit who gave them their prophecies and told them what to say. Now, notice what it says in Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 11. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Now that was actually quoted by Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. Verse number 11 says, Then said I, Lord... How long? Now there, of course, we have the identification of the speaker, the one who's talking here. The Lord is speaking. And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. Now keep your finger in that scripture, because you might want to turn back to it later just to look at it. And let's go to Acts chapter 28. Now in Isaiah, Isaiah replied, To whom? To who is he speaking to? Well, he's speaking to the Lord. And the Lord said, you go and tell the people this. Now, if we look at Acts 28, and we see to whom the apostle Paul attributes this command to the prophets. Acts 28, verse 25. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, that's Isaiah the prophet, unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now, we recognize that that is the very same scripture that's in Isaiah, and Paul quotes that scripture. So we put that together, and here's the result. 
that the Lord God is the one who spoke those words. And when Paul quotes them, he says, the Holy Spirit spoke those words. And so who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he must be God. And if you want some other scriptures to compare, you could write down this reference. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And you can compare that to Hebrews 10, verses 15 through 17. And you'll see the same structure as what we've just read in these two other passages. And it's actually even more apparent in the book of Jeremiah because there you'll see the tetragrammaton. Now, the Holy Spirit is Jehovah. And I'm, I'm going to talk just a little bit about the tetragrammaton at the end of this message. So we look then at the, uh, at the Holy Spirit in this way. We know that he is God because of those associations. And then we can see that the Holy Spirit is God is because, because of the attributes of the Holy Spirit. His attributes prove that he is God. Now for you to understand that, you have to know what an attribute is. The attributes are the characteristics of God's nature. God's attributes are descriptions of him that he gives in Scripture where God tells us what he's like. And these are the characteristics that make up the nature uh, of God. And so those are his attributes. Now, my purpose tonight is not to go into all the attributes of God and give you a full description of those because that would lead us into a discussion of both the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. Now, just briefly, communicable attributes of God are things that God can share with us, that there are certain characteristics that God has that he can share with us and we can, we can experience some of those different types of attributes. Now, we're not really interested, though, in this part, in the attributes that God shares with us, but rather in the incommunicable attributes or the ones that God does not share with us. Those are attributes that belong to God alone, that no human could ever possess. And so if we can show that the Holy Spirit has incommunicable attributes, which only God has, then we've just proved that the Holy Spirit is God. Does that make sense to you? It Does it? Okay. All right. If it doesn't, it'll clear up just a little bit as we look into it. So I hope it's understandable. So what attributes are there in God that no human or any other being possesses? Well, you'll recognize these, I think, and I'm not going to give you a long list of them. There are many that we could talk about, but these will suffice. First, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. That means that he's present everywhere. And we can also say that he's present everywhere at the same time. Since God is transcendent, and that's actually another one of his attributes, but since he is transcendent, he can be everywhere at one time. So everywhere God is. Well, does the Bible ever say that the Holy Spirit is everywhere at the same time? Well, David said that. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, David talks about how the Holy Spirit is everywhere. He said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. 
Well, David's intention in those verses is to show us that there is no place where he would ever hope to go where he would be without the presence of God's Spirit. Now, for some people, that would be just a terrible, frightful thought that there is nowhere that you can go to escape God. If you have sinned against God, and you have, we all have, there is no place that you can go to get away from the judgment of God. I'm reminded of this scripture that we find in the book of Revelation that takes place during the tribulation. Revelation chapter 6 says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now someone said, You can run, but you can't hide. Hiding in a cave or anywhere else will not shelter you from God because God is everywhere so you crawl into a cave and God is there David said even if I descend into hell God is there but David wasn't speaking of the spirit's presence in a fearful way instead to him it was a great comfort to know that no matter where he went he could never escape the watchful providence of God that the spirit was always there to be his helper And that's one of the reasons that we need to know who the Holy Spirit is because the New Testament has promised that the Holy Spirit will always be with us. This is one of the things that Jesus promised to his disciples when he left this earth. He said he would send the Comforter. Let me read to you from John 14, 16. Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Well, that's a very important scripture. It proves the Holy Spirit is God because Jesus said, I will give you another comforter. And the word another there actually means in the original language, one of the same kind or one who is the same in essence. So that tells us that the Holy Spirit is like Jesus Christ, that he is of the same essence of the same kind as Jesus So that becomes a wonderful promise to us because it means that no matter where we are, we are always in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so it wasn't any great tragedy for Jesus to tell his disciples that I'm leaving you. I'm leaving the world, but I'm going to send the comforter. That wasn't a tragedy to them because they would always have Jesus Christ in the presence of Christ, uh, uh, presence of the Holy Spirit with them. And then uh, this scripture in John fourteen sixteen is also very important because of that word comforter. And in the Greek language, that's the word parakletos. And it means one who is called alongside to help. So you need to know who the Holy Spirit is because he, because he is the one that's always called alongside to help you. So no matter where you are, he's going to be there. And that was David's joy. That's why David was was speaking to God in this way. It was that omnipresence of the Holy Spirit that was such a great comfort to him. And that's a great comfort for every Christian. Now, secondly, in the Holy Spirit's attributes, he is also omniscient. Omniscient means that he knows everything. Well, does the Holy Spirit know everything? Is there anybody here that can hold up your hand tonight and you can say... I know everything that God knows. I don't think that we'd have to argue too long about that. None of you are going to say that you know everything that God knows. 
But that's a claim that the scriptures make about the Holy Spirit, that he knows everything that God knows. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 11, Paul says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man that is, which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, do you see Paul's reasoning in those verses? How does a man understand another man? Well, he understands him because he has the spirit of man. Whatever a man can know is within the realm of human understanding. You're human, he's human, so what he knows, you can know. But he tells us here that in the realm of God, things can only be understood by God. That is, unless God should see fit to reveal them to us. And how does God do that? He does it through the Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit understand the things of God? He's God. Now this is an interesting point when we consider, once again, those communicable and incommunicable attributes. Because one of the things that we say about uh, God's attributes, we're talking about communicable ones, we say that wisdom is a communicable attribute of God. I mean, wisdom, people can have wisdom. Now listen to what Paul says in the next verses, uh, right after those ones we've just read. He said, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So there the Apostle Paul says that he was able to speak in the wisdom of God because the Holy Spirit taught him what to say. So that attribute of God, wisdom, that is communicable. But is it possible to have the full wisdom of God? Is that communicable? Well, Paul also says that we are never going to know all that God knows. He says in Romans 11:33, "Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out." You can't know everything that God knows. You don't have all the wisdom that God has, even though wisdom is one of the communicable attributes. So if the Holy Spirit knows all the things of God, then how could he be anything other than deity? You know, even the angels that spend their time, all of their time in the presence of God, they don't have the wisdom of God. They don't understand it. Peter said that angels are still looking into the matter and trying to figure out how God ever gave us the gospel. You can look that up in 1 Peter 1, verse number 12. And what he meant was they don't understand how that God became man and came to die for us. And they can't fathom how how that the glorious God, the one who, who sat on heaven's throne took on himself the form of a servant and came to this earth in human flesh and then died the death of the cross. They're still looking into that. They don't understand that. And that's because they don't know everything. And I'm glad that when the all-infinite wise God made his decisions, he didn't have to check with anybody. He didn't have to counsel with anyone. He was all-wise in himself. Now, thirdly, he is also omnipotent. And that means that, of course, that he is all-powerful. 
Now, what would it take to convince you that the Holy Spirit has all power? What if the Holy Spirit came here tonight and he picked up this building and he just shook it, just shook it and then set it back down? Would that convince you that the Holy Spirit has all power? I think there's some people would say, well, no, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That's, that was an earthquake. That was a natural phenomenon. I mean, after all, we live on a fault line, don't we? What is it, the Rogers Creek Fault that we live close to? And uh, according to Jerry Lee Lewis, there's a whole lot of shaking going on, and we see that happen a lot of times. And so there may be people who would say, well, that's just an earthquake. So what if we are then, then to look at something that's more impressive? What about the one who put the fault lines there? What about the, the one that made those tectonic plates that shift and cause the earthquake? What about the one who formed the earth and all things that are in the earth? Or what about the one who, who made the universe so expansive that the human mind can't even comprehend it? Who did that? Well, would you say that the person that was able to do that has all power, that he's omnipotent? If he can make everything, then of course he'd be the one who has all power. There can't be any higher uh, power higher than someone who makes everything. So who was it? Well, did you know you only have to step two verses into the Bible to find out who it was? Genesis 1 verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And then you can turn to the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. And Job wrote, By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens, his hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Then how about the creation of man? You know, science, scientists are baffled about how life began. Now, even though uh, scientists kind of give this up today to random chance, and that's how we got life, I really don't think that they're so stupid as to think that the probabilities of life occurring randomly are not so astronomical that it just can't happen, that it's preposterous. I mean, they, they know perhaps the chemicals that go into a DNA molecule. They study all of that, and, and they're even able to manipulate it to some degree. But they couldn't have put together the, the, the simplest DNA molecule for the simplest organism. It's impossible for them to do. So what about the creation of man? Would you say that somebody who's able to create this complex organism called man, that a person could do that, could do that, is all-powerful? Listen to what Elihu says in Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. The breath of the Almighty, the Spirit of God hath made me. Now, that's an interesting verse. The breath of the Almighty itself refers to the Holy Spirit without even using the word spirit in that verse. So no one but God could do this. The Holy Spirit did it, so the Holy Spirit is God. Now, let me give you one more. Number four, he is eternal. And, of course, to be eternal means that he has no end and he has no beginning. Do you know the Bible never gives us an explanation for God? The Bible never says, here is where God came from. And yet that's a question that almost every Sunday school teacher has fielded at one time or another. Who made God? Any Sunday school teacher ever had one of your students ask you that? Who made God? Well, nobody made God. In the Old Testament, God gave his name. And you know what his name is? It's a strange name. 
In Exodus chapter 3, Moses asked God, he said, When I go to the children of Israel and tell them that you sent me, then who shall I say sent me? What is your name? And God replied to that question in Exodus 3 verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. See, God's name itself is an expression of his eternality. He just is. There is no past and there is no future with God. He just is. Now, let me take this a little bit further. I know, I know we're studying the Holy Spirit, but I said I was going to talk to you about Christ for just a moment. So let's tie the whole Trinity together here for just a little bit. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw this one in for free tonight. There, there, there are no extra offerings that are required to get this information. So I'm going to give this to you. But in the Old Testament, God said, I am. I am is what we call the Tetragrammaton. And in the Greek translation of Scripture, that is transposed into the name Jehovah. Now, probably sometime in the future, there may be a Jehovah Witness that will come to your house, and he will tell you that we believe that Jesus is our Savior, but we don't believe that Jesus is Jehovah. And there's an interesting verse in Isaiah 41 in, in which God tells Isaiah about his power to help Israel. And we sing the song, uh, most of you, maybe everybody's familiar with it, How Firm a Foundation. And there's a verse in that song that says, Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Now that verse comes from Isaiah 41, verse 10. Now let me read to you Isaiah 41, verse 4. It says there, Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. Now there's a lot in that, and I... Now, I'd love to spend some time here talking a lot about this, but we don't have time to do it. But Jesus said, remember in the Old Testament, he said, or New Testament rather, he said, I am he. He said that to his disciples when he came walking to them on the water. And the first part of this quote says, I, the Lord. And when you see that, as you know, in all capital letters in your, in your Bible, L-O-R-D, capital letters, that's actually the Tetragrammaton. That is Jehovah. So he's saying here that Jehovah is the first and the last. Now listen to what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22. He said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So you don't have to be a great Bible scholar to put a Jehovah Witness to flight on the identity of Jesus Christ. It's right here in front of our eyes. But that's not the main point. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, aren't we? But when we're talking about him, I can't resist talking about Jesus because, you know, one of the main duties of the Holy Spirit, you might say, do you know what his main duties is? To point us to Jesus Christ, to make us see Jesus Christ. So God, what we're trying to put forth to you here is that God is the first and the last. We find that in Isaiah. We find it in the book of Revelation. So we have God the Father and we have Jesus Christ who are God. They are first and the last. They are eternal. So when you say first and last, then you're 
just saying God is eternal in a different way. And no one is eternal but God. There's no one without beginning or ending but God. So what does the scripture say about the Holy Spirit? Well, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, it says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, and there you realize he's talking about Old Testament sacrifices, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And there you see in Hebrews, the Holy Spirit is called the eternal spirit. And by the way, verse number 14 is also another Trinitarian verse. It says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. You know, people say, well, the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. The Jehovah Witnesses will tell you the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. Absolutely it does. It teaches us right here that the Holy Spirit is with Christ and he's with the Father. And the Holy Spirit is eternal just like the Father and the Son. They are God and so is he. Now that's about as far as I can go tonight. I timed that pretty good. We're about two minutes till seven. So, so who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he... He's a person, and he's deity, and you need to know him. You need to understand him. He is the parakletos, the comforter, the one who's always with you. And when you have him, you have God always on your side. The psalmist wrote, the Lord is on my side. Notice there, Lord, again, that's tetragrammaton, L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah. He is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do unto me so who is the lord well i think we prove that he's the father he is the son and he is the holy spirit there's so much good information in the scriptures about this subject very rich study and we're going to spend some time finding out more about the holy spirit let's pray heavenly father as we come into your presence tonight uh, we just rejoice over your word the truths that we can find in Scripture. And what a great blessing it is for us to really get to know the Holy Spirit and know that he lives inside of us, that he works in us, that all the power that we have to uh, do what you would have us to do, to live for you, to enjoy our Christian lives, to understand and realize the blessings that are promised to us, uh, all of that comes by the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand him better, help us to uh, be so much appreciative of this wonderful plan that you put in place that we could actually have the presence of God with us all the time, no matter where we are. We thank you, Lord, for that is a great comfort to us. Bless us as we sing tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.